sucks at life. Yeah, like, insane. Like, yeah. Crazy. Um, it's a earlier yeah. three strikes lot and so now we're trying to fix it a little that bit. That sounds biased too. <laughs> <laughs> that one sounds a little more biased than the first one. So. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Humans Are Interesting. My name is Namus and I'm here as always with my brother Scientific. What up? Before we go any further, I just want to say that uh, throughout the show we're going to have a lot of guests and sometimes it's going to be people we, we totally see eye to eye with. And other times it'll be folks who um, we completely disagree with. And so we just want to, we trust you guys as the listener and want to trust ourselves to, to be open-minded and be comfortable uh, listening to people who, who think differently than we do and do our best to, to listen without judgment um, and try to learn. That's, the, that's kind of the whole goal here is to open up communication, uh, learn and grow. Um, today's episode is called Fear and Loathing on Election Day. Um, so I think the title is pretty self-explanatory. November 8th is going to suck. Well, I okay. It's going to suck for me, but some people might enjoy it. <laughs> I don't know. Anyone, will anyone in this room? Mm-hmm. Is anyone in this room looking forward to November 8th? I don't know. <laughs> That's going to count as a no. <laughs> um, um, but instead of giving a bunch of time to the Donald and to Hillary, we figured we'd touch a little bit more on propositions for the California ballot. But the first one we wanted to talk about is Proposition 57. It deals with the potential reformation of prison sentences for nonviolent felons and also the potential reformation of children being able to be tried as adults. Um, so to talk about this uh, specific proposition, we wanted to bring in a friend of ours who we met um, a good 10 plus years ago. And she kind of works in a field that will be directly affected by this proposition, depending on what happens to it. So if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and say what you do. My name is Crystal Anthony, and I am a clinical social worker. I'm a therapist in a detention facility here in Southern California. And I work directly as the specialized therapist working with youth who are direct file youth. That means that these are the high security unit of the detention facility, and they are kids who get directly filed into adult court. So they don't get a chance in juvenile court. Their specific crimes get directly filed. That means that maybe they have an attempt murder, murder case, or even a high robbery case, and they don't get that chance to get treated like a juvenile. They go directly into adult court. Got you. Um, so before we move on, I want to say Crystal at her job, she she gave me a really cool opportunity a few weeks ago. Um, she brought me up to their facility and apparently she has a group of about 15 or 16 kids that have shown some interest in creative writing to an extent. And so I got to go to the facility and I got to basically do some creative writing workshops with them and and talk to them and, and share some of my poems and hear some of their poems and just kind of do workshops for a couple hours. And it was uh, extremely rewarding. So thank you for bringing me on to do that. Thank you for coming. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's just jump right into it. Uh, tell tell me how you tell us how you feel about this thing. A lot of my kids are pending um, adult court charges, and so a lot of them, some of them, have been there over a year, over two years. They've been just waiting. Their parents actually pay per day for them to be in juvenile hall. So most of the population that I work with is under the poverty line. And so people who are already uh, working under the poverty line and on top of that, they're getting additional payments that they have to make for each day that their youth is inside of the detention facility. And on top of that, um, then once they turn 18, oftentimes the kids get transferred over into um Grown-up jail is what I call it, but it's... Grown-up jail, <laughs> big jail, big, jail. big people big jail. jail, big jail, big people jail. 
And many of my kids, when they first come into juvenile hall, that key part is that they're a direct file case. And so these are kids that they don't, they skip the 707 hearing, which is a hearing that usually juveniles get in order to see if the, if they can stay in juvenile court um, or if they can go into adult court. And the decision maker right now is the prosecuting office, which would be like a district attorney's office gets to mm -hmm. decide of, oh, do we want to prosecute them as a juvenile or do we want to prosecute them as an adult? And so they skip the 707 here and they say, you're a direct file case, you're going to go to adult court. And the law would change that. It would make the judge now the person that gets to decide whether or not it's Opposed gonna, to the prosecutor? The yeah. Got you. If they've never, ever been in trouble before, and this is the first time that they're getting in trouble for, that's like a big deal. It's really sad when my kids can identify they've been there over a year and they can see that if you're a brown kid and you come into juvenile hall, you're most likely going to get direct filed and you're going to stay there and you're going to hang out for a minute. Um, if you're not, if you're a Caucasian kid, if you're a kid of... You could say has, white. We say yeah. white all the time on here. Caucasoid. Yeah. You said once, too. Yeah, we, <laughs> we say Caucasoid, white, Caucasian, Caucasian. Anglo. Anglo. We said them all. Yeah, so if you have, you're like a white kid, you come in and um, you have like a, a really serious charge, well, your family might be able to pay for that private attorney or you might just be looked at and said, oh, you know, there, there is there is that judgment call. There is that judgment call on what a kid looks like. And, and the fact that my kids can identify that and, and see themselves and say like, well, I've been in here over a year and I'm still waiting for my charge, like for these things. And, and I'm talking about my kids who finally see the potential in themselves they mm. finally are seeing that like i can be more than being a gang i can mm. be more than what maybe society has projected for me to be and that is this gang banger out in the streets i have kids who are probably some of the most intelligent and bright human beings that i've ever had the privilege of working with a lot of my kids oftentimes maybe they are not even in gangs they're just they live in a community and specifically on a street where maybe a gang interacts or lives on right. and they get profiled they get told you are part of that gang you you're friends with those kids and it's like well they grew up on that street they grew up they went to elementary school together they went to middle school together so yeah maybe their friend is a gang member but it doesn't make them a gang member um there are kids who are innocent of crimes and yet they're being held there you know and there are so many injustices and i can tell you that I may be a Mexican woman, but I know what it is to have privilege because I'm a light-skinned Mexican woman. And so I know that I've been looked at and been told, like been given maybe more chances than maybe a darker-skinned Hispanic person. So I can I say I actually that, was going to ask you about that because yeah. I know you're Mexican. I know you're mad light. <laughs> mad light. Mad light. Mad and light. everybody thinks I'm Asian. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you too. I'm not going to lie to you too. I was like, so wait, you, you said like, you're you know. Mexican. The first time you told me you're Mexican, I was like, so you mean like half? Yeah. Right? Like... like <laughs> So it's like, I know that I can drop the white privilege thing and I can say that about things, but I know that I've experienced privilege myself. So it's like, I know that maybe I had certain things that they didn't have. I had maybe a really strong mom who helped me through my my stuff, you know, and yeah. some of my kids, they don't have that. They don't have the supportive life. They don't, they live in a one bedroom with 10 people, one bedroom with 10 people. Like, I mean, when I look at Prop 57, I look at the eyes of my children and I... And I'm going to, like, you know, it's really crazy because in the last month, one of my kids, um, he made this, like, really raw statement to me. And there were some tears there. And he's just like, you know, Crystal, like, here in America, I'm really not innocent until proven guilty. I am guilty until I prove my innocence. Mm. And that was so real to me um, because in juvenile court, you don't get bail or 
you know, if a family really is trying to pay for an attorney because the public defender doesn't go visit them in court, doesn't show up for court dates. How about that? Um, doesn't. <laughs> wow. That's my favorite. When my kids come and they're like, my, my attorney didn't even show up to court like yeah. for eight months in a row. <laughs> no big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, Proposition 57 is a really big deal for some of my kids. It's they're involved in like a dance program. They do yoga with me. They do individual therapy once a week. Like, you know, they're doing really crazy things to help themselves because they want to get better. These are kids who have grown up, oftentimes maybe have experienced abuse, have um, growing up in a violent environment and neighborhood where they're watching their backs everywhere they go because they can't feel safe because maybe there's going to be a shooting in front of them or maybe there's going to be a drive-by. All of that kind of accumulates into oftentimes when we look at it, it looks like PTSD. And these are kids that after after we learn trust with their with me, then they're able to express themselves and say like, oh, yeah, I do get nightmares or I do have flashbacks or there's times when, you know, I am feeling like extra anxious or, um, I you know, I get night sweats or those types of symptoms. And so um, I do believe that rehabilitation and giving them more options and then looking at it by case by case and really looking at a case and giving it a hearing because that's what it does. You get a hearing. As a juvenile, I think one of the big things that you talked about, which also touches on uh, nonviolent felon side, is this idea of rehabilitation. So I know when I looked up this proposition, it seems to clearly say that any reform to a previous sentence is specifically for nonviolent offenders. Um, so I don't understand why I keep hearing people respond saying you're going to let you know murderers and rapists out on the street. It's dependent on rehabilitation like you're talking about and so one thing that really stuck out to me in that is I feel like now uh, the prison system isn't actually built or meant to rehabilitate anybody its purpose is to to break people there's this idea of institutionalization you can look across the world there's different prisons and different systems that instead of treating prisoners like garbage basically and treating them like the lowest of the low and what they do is that part of the rehabilitation is it starts in the prison system because it's like I tell my kids I'm like your change has to start here if your change doesn't start here when you get out you're gonna want you're gonna come you're gonna come right back back. yeah Yeah. we are being looked at as a a prison system that has cruel and unusual punishment because we are overcrowded and our prisons aren't big enough. But the thing is, is that we live in America, a first world country where people are incarcerated at faster rates than in anywhere else in the industrialized world. You know, and then there are people who don't want to change. Okay, you are going to have people in the prison system who they want they want that lifestyle and they and they don't want to change and that's different but this proposition is saying no they have to show progress towards rehabilitation that means right. that they're being proactive in the prison system yeah um, it's a great way to separate um, yeah. the people who really want to change and the right. people who are just going to end up back here yep. and so for the people who are afraid of the rapist and the killer coming back out they have to they need to know that they have to pass a certain uh, standard of rehabilitation to even be considered in this. And I think my my hope with this proposition is if it passes, is that there will be more of a focus on the rehabilitation side. Like, I hope that this sparks um, a change in the prison system as a whole, like in this time when things are actually moving and changing. I feel like this is the best time for um, the rehabilitation part to be addressed. That can become something that's highly valued from the people running the prison system. Like I tell people like I'm going to respect however you feel and I'm always going to respect what you decide to vote for, but I'm going to respect it only if you educate yourself on the actual issue and the actual 
problem. And I think because I, I do work those front lines and, right. and I do see, I do see change and I do see progress and and not only that, but I know my friends see it too, because I allow my friends to be involved in things like that. Like, you know, having you come in, like, you're already a change maker, but like, Thank you me. know, I try my best. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, how are we teaching our young men and our young women um, about how we treat one another and things like that? And I mean, we see it in the political sphere right now. Grabbing people by their, you know, is probably not the nicest thing to ever do. Yeah, that's but, true. But yet we have somebody in that's that's going for the highest office in our country who we're saying we're afraid of. Yeah, he has a real chance to win. Yeah. That's scary. I know. So one of, some of those rebuttals I find interesting because it's some of those people that are voting for him. That's what it sounds like when yeah. you read it, doesn't it? It's this isn't. I'm sure this isn't fair, but when I read these things, I definitely have an image in my head. Yep. Yeah. With the American flag cowboy hat on. The, the Make America Great. Well, I like hat. cowboy hats. It's I'd the American flag cowboy hat. It's the combination of the two. <laughs> the American flag With the shirt that says lock her up. up. <laughs> Aye, aye, aye. That's what I'm talking it's about. Cray. And anything that I'm saying right now, I want to be clear. That's not me. That's not a pro Hillary talk on on my side. So I, I don't rep. As her. for me, it's I'm definitely not not pro either of those two. Crystal is voting for Hillary Clinton, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I was voting for Bernie. Okay. <laughs> And then we saw what happened, but... I know. She sabotaged his campaign. That's what happened. You know, but Hillary has her downfalls. She is part of the problem with our incarceration issues in America, you know, her and her husband. And this is an issue between both both sides. Like, both sides have contributed to the issues Mm -hmm. we have in America when it comes to mass incarceration. And that's an issue that we need to look at. We need to see who are the people who we're actually incarcerating and why are we incarcerating people of color at a higher rate Mm. than anybody else. Mm. That's a problem. A lot of people often have a false view of this country and the way that it, that it operates. And they feel that if that perception is challenged or questioned, then they're somehow being un-American, you mm-hmm. know, um, or somehow the things that we on paper at least stand for don't hold the same kind of value. It's like, no, man, the things that you love and hold uh, the most respect for the things that you hold the most accountable that's cool like you know like do that stand behind that and 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 hold your hold let's hold ourselves accountable to these things that we say we represent are you going to be a voice for change or are you not going to be a voice for change because i'm okay with being unpopular for a minute like i'm not i'm okay with you saying i'm not a good enough christian or i'm not a good enough certain things you know tell tell us about some i know you mentioned before to me um this was just with social media some of the stuff you started posting and maybe losing some uh, some friends so yeah what happened with that what happened with that? <laughs> um you know it's interesting social media is a it's a special world out there and i think that sometimes we put ourselves to a higher level and and you know i'm willing to say that like i am pro pro choice and it doesn't make me a less christian than than any of my other friends i have a problem with yes. people who are pro-life but they are not pro-life after the baby's born I mean, I'm strongly, strongly pro-life, and so I would disagree with you on the abortion issue 100% of the time, but I would never go as far as to question your salvation exactly. because, because you disagree that's, with yeah. me on that. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's, that's important, be, yes. too, because I think often we, we, when we see somebody sees politics different as you, uh, looks at politics different as you, how quick we are to say, oh, that person is more or less of a Christian, we become... Uh, the politician first and the Christian second. We become the Republican or the Democrat first and the Christian second. Or even, or even I think even more sometimes uh, 
detrimental. We become uh, Democrat, Republican, and an American first before we're Christian. Right, Christian, like, right. third or fourth That's like the, third or fourth, the <laughs> third or fourth down the line, when, if you look from a Christian perspective, I'm a Christian first. You know, yep. your citizenship is in heaven. The fact that uh, what I, you know, whoever I voted for in last, you know, 2012 election doesn't have any bearing on my salvation, you right. know. When I went, in 2008, I went on um, my first tour and uh, I toured with this dude named Caboose. And we pretty much just toured like Midwest, uh, mostly Minnesota, Wisconsin area. And there was this really great family that had this big old house and, and um, their house was kind of in the middle of where all these tour stops were. And so they, they gave us free access to come stay with them whenever we wanted to. So Caboose knew that they were really, really strong uh, Republicans. And because he likes to mess with me, my first <laughs> conversation with him, meeting with them, he's like, hey guys, this is Namus. He's voting for Obama. That's, that's literally how I, was, how I was introduced, right? And this lady, I'm not making this up. I, this lady was so good to me over the summer, but in this first conversation, she looks me dead in the eyes and she's like, all the babies that will be aborted on his watch, their blood is on your hands. Oh my goodness. I promise you, she said that to me. I was like, oh my goodness. How can we stay here at all this summer? How <laughs> do you follow? What do you? I couldn't. She said that how to do you me. I follow that. Like, what I do you say? Like, on it. your hands. Nice to meet you Dang. too. <laughs> and then I walked away. That's just so. Oh, wow, that's wild. That's kind of intense. <laughs> it was very intense. This was literally our first conversation. I'd been in Minnesota, the state of Minnesota, for less maybe a day. And this is like the second person I met out there. I was like, but isn't oh it crazy that people only look at that one thing? Right. We, and I they was... don't look at like everything else. They don't look at the fact that there's all these other things that are pertinent or important as well, like helping people, helping the needy and helping certain things and do have homelessness. And we do. And it's not that they're lazy people exactly. like, oh, my gosh. Drug addiction is a real problem. And there's just there's just this attitude. You know, I grew up in a single parent home and my mom worked really hard. I grew up in a neighborhood where, you know, there's a lot of single parents. And, you know, I always find it sad and kind of demeaning when people have this attitude that if you're poor, it's because you're lazy. Yeah. Now, there are some people out there who are lazy and poor, but there's this attitude that we have that if you're poor, uh, it's because you're not working hard. And to this day, the hardest people I've ever seen work ever, ever in my life were people in that neighborhood, were people like my mom, yeah. were people who, uh, you know, they were born in a poor family. They didn't really have much. Maybe, you know, necessarily they didn't have education. They started out behind already in the race. You see what mm -hmm. I'm saying? But we have this attitude in America. And sometimes, unfortunately, among Christians that, you know what? If you're poor or if you're down on your luck, it's without a doubt, I'm going to judge you and say it's because you're lazy. I don't know nothing about you. Yeah. But I just assume that right off the bat, which is yeah. disgusting to me. And it's sad. Yeah, I want to go back to what you said earlier about um, people being caught up on that one issue of abortion. I have a hard time with that as well, because when pro-life Republicans get in office, abortion doesn't become illegal. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it does, that doesn't... I'm going to overturn that, Roe versus Wade. Right, right. That, that, that can't happen. Well, no. And that's the thing that, 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 that I just don't understand when it comes to the whole thing about abortion. If you look, there's this great, oh, I wish I had an infographic, which is like a you know chart, and it's from 2008 election, and it shows certain keywords so that you hear every election. So things like immigration, finance, you know, budget, abortion... It's interesting, though, when you look at uh, how many times abortion is said um, from certain candidates, it's said a lot more during election years um, from the Republican candidates and the Democrat. But guess what they have in common once that person gets in office? 
the uh, the word abortion is said a lot less. It's not even brought up again. Yeah. Until the next election, yeah. you pretty you much know? don't talk it. Unless, and you, yeah. you do look yeah. at abortion rates uh, from uh, Democrat and Republican. You know, it's no correlation. I can't look at abortion rate and say, okay, this right here, a Democrat was in office, or right here, Republicans in office. You know, it doesn't fluctuate by who was in office because it's not changing. During the Reagan era, abortion soared. So it's just so funny. It is that one thing. Well, that's an important, uh, an important issue. It's yeah, something that's used over and over again to get votes. And you know what? If I'm if I'm a uh, if I'm a Republican politician, I know. Hey, that's what fifty million votes right there. Forty million votes. I just have to say abortion. I don't have to do anything about it. I just got to say to get elected. I'll get get in the White House. I'll bring it up again four years down the road for re-election. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so, so crazy to me because it's like. We got to look at the immigration issue, too. You know, right. I, rem- I remember being like in school and people would make comments about Mexicans and they would be like, but not your kind of Mexican. And I was like, what do you mean my kind of Mexican? <laughs> what does that mean? I, know. I mean, I'm like, what? And then tell me what I am, because I'm actually straight up from an immigrant family. My mom immigrated here. She worked on the fields, you know, being from an immigrant family and seeing how people it's crazy to me. I think it can end friendships. And in some cases it does. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, let us know how many friends you lose. Yeah, how many friends you lose. Yeah. Or maybe we're going to lose friends just Probably. by having you on the show. <laughs> <laughs> we're not real Christians. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Cool, yeah, yeah. All right, so next up, and this one I really push for, and that's Proposition 62. Um, and that's basically to get rid of the death penalty. So I kind of have a lot of opinions on this, but Science, I want you to go ahead and go first. Me and my brother, Namas, we, we kind of feel the same on the death penalty. I am... When it comes to the death penalty, I can't support something that I feel there's a lot of holes in the system. In fact, most countries in the world um, don't have the death penalty or capital punishment. And the countries that um, also have the death penalty and are actively, I want to make that clear, actively using it are China, Iran, North Korea, Yemen, and the USA. <laughs> Which is kind of interesting because if you remember the whole, you know, axis of evil thing that George Bush was talking about, those are pretty much a lot of the countries, you know? You have uh, Iran, North Korea, China. So we're in, we're in some interesting company. Oh, that's uh, funny. I had yeah. no idea. Yeah, when it comes to the death penalty. A big argument for the death penalty, it uh, acts as a deterrent. It brings crime down. But in states that have the death penalty, there's no less... There's no drop in crime because of the death penalty itself. In fact, in 2007, you had two states that had a moratorium. You had uh, Pennsylvania, and then you had Illinois, which there is no death penalty anymore. What happened was the rate of exonerations was increasing so much that um, the governors of those states, who were were both pro-death penalty governors, put a moratorium on it. They stopped it just because there were so many exonerations uh happening that they they said in good conscience they couldn't go forward oh yeah i remember that yeah so in 2007 though which is really interesting it's uh there had been so much uneasiness about death penalty for years uh since the 70s the united states has got most of its death penalty drugs from europe now the only thing about europe europe uh it's definitely against the death penalty in fact it's somebody commits a crime and uh let's say they murder somebody and they go to europe and they're facing the death penalty, they will not be extradited back to the United States oh, wow. for that. But a lot of the major pharmaceuticals, because a lot of the major pharmaceutical companies are um, based in Europe, and the ones who provided the cocktails for lethal injection uh, were European, come from European nations. So a couple years ago, there was a stop put on them uh, by the EU, and they said, we're not going to give the United States any more drugs, to, uh, but they're going to go to kill people. So at left states like Oklahoma scrambling, what do we do? So there's been a lot of talk with the death penalty because they've 
been trying out new new drugs when it comes to killing somebody and there's been and just in the past year a number of a, a number of executions that didn't necessarily go so well because they were new drugs there's one guy it's you know it took him i think an hour to die another um gentleman a couple years ago i believe in florida the drugs they were giving him counteracted with his liver medicine and basically uh he just didn't die so he was one of the first people, I think, to, they had to do try again. But let's look at the 2007 stats. And the reason I say 2007 is important with the death penalty, because that's when uh, a lot of states start to realize that, you know what, it's not a deterrent. And uh, there's been a number of cases where people are being acquitted. So in 2007, you had six states ban the death penalty. You had New Jersey, New York, New Mexico, Illinois, Connecticut, and Maryland. That represented a, a fairly massive shift in our country. Um, the states that execute the most is uh, Texas. But they, they've uh, recently have had a, a number of acquittals. And let me say, when acquittals happen too, and this is why I'm personally against when people rush the death penalty, because most acquittals don't happen after somebody's been in jail for oh, a year, on death row for a year or two. It happens when they've been in there usually for more than 15 years. And the most recent one in Texas, the guy was in there for 28 years of his life gone. He didn't do anything. He was on death row for 28 years of his life. So we have to think about these things when we talk about um, executions. And, you know, in the future of this country, I, I think we're realizing that it's, like I said, it's not a deterrent. It's really expensive, too. You know, this person's been on death row for 10 years. Why haven't you killed him yet? Well, the reason that happens is because it gives them time to, uh, to file appeals because there's been so many cases, especially in the last 20 years, of people being acquitted. So if someone is on death row, that means they're in prison. You know what I mean? The, the threat has already been, been neutralized. And ironically, a large percent of the people on death row are there for premeditated murder. And if you have neutralized the threat and they've been in prison for years and years and years, and then you're deciding to kill them, do you see the irony in that? Exactly. Doesn't that sound like premeditated? You know what I'm right. saying? Like In the church, we have the pro-lifers. Right. And the pro-lifers ironically support the death penalty. Death penalty. And the pro-choicers that I know are the ones that that are mm-hmm. against the death penalty. Again, like that's very, very interesting to yeah. me. Um, I feel like by definition... You cannot be pro-life and support the death penalty. It just doesn't make sense. Um, and then the last thing that I hear um, in these conversations, and this is usually when they get to the desperation point in the conversation, it, the last thing I hear is the Bible says eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You know what I mean? It did say that in the Old Testament. And then in Matthew 5, Jesus was like, hey, you remember that eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth thing? Yeah, no more. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. You know, um, he directly speaks to that issue um, or to that passage. Um, I, I'm sure you've heard the argument to that. Oh, you can still love the person that you're killing in the death penalty. Have you heard that argument? Yes. And I think it's bogus. I agree. I, I think, think it's, it's bogus. Yeah. And I, I look at it. You know what? I rather if I have 20 people on death row and I know for a fact 19 of them um, are murderers and they deserve to be there and one's possibly innocent. I'd rather see all those people just get life. Like I can't right. support uh, these issues that I see in the system when it comes to death. Definitely. People act like life in prison is like a, a easy thing. Thing I know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Especially if you're like a rapist. Like if you're a child rapist, yeah, you might not make it very long. Yeah, in there. That's for sure. You know what I'm saying? 
And so, again, uh, again, speaking to the Christians, man, a lot of times I hear, um, well, for their actions, this is kind of what they deserve. They deserve death. But as a Christian, if you believe that, I would agree with you, but you would believe that all of us deserve death, right? right? You know what I mean? That's the wages of sin. And also, and this kind of depends on where you fall theologically, um, but um, I believe in, in redemption. I believe anyone can find redemption. Mm-hmm. I will not take part in any action that is going to um, shorten the the chances of someone finding redemption. Right. I'm, not, I'm not having it. It's freaking barbaric and archaic. You I know agree. what I mean? Death to the penalty of death. Oh, yeah. I agree. Um, so that's going to be our show for the day. Um, thank you guys again for listening. We really hope that you guys can do your best to really listen to all the things that were said today and and, and try to soak them in and um, think about it w- without bias. Um, mm-hmm. we, we don't expect anyone to necessarily agree with everything we talk about or everything we say. And that's cool, man. Like we can totally disagree. But think about it, you know, listen to exactly. it. And, then, all right. and, and let us know how you feel about these two propositions, 57 mm-hmm. and, and 62. What do you... Uh, what are you planning on voting on them and why? You know, tell us. Tell us, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, that'll be our show for the day. Thank you again for listening. Peace be the journey. Ah, peace be the journey. <laughs>